It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everybody, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely M, and you also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star M I N. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarSports.media. And welcome into the show, everybody. We've got a great one for you today here on this Saturday, April 24th, as we get set to preview UFC 261 Usman versus Masvidal 2 which will take place in a matter of hours from the Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville, Florida. And awesome to be back with you guys here. Uh, Very, very big card. One of the biggest cards of the year. I know you could say that for almost every pay-per-view, but it really rings true with this one, having three title fights on it. And not just three title fights, but, um, you know, title fights in very, very important divisions. Obviously, Uh, I think the welterweight division is the peak division for MMA. Um, You know, I think there's a lot of positives and negatives for heavier and lighter weight classes, but I think welterweight is really where they mesh together. Obviously, there's a certain brilliance of, you know, a a high-level flyweight fight, you know, like Figueredo and Moreno, or, you know, seeing Demetrius Johnson defy gravity, and obviously... Uh, you know, people like the the power of heavyweights, but for me, middleweight is really where both of those intersect. Obviously, not to the degrees uh, that they would uh, with their respective characteristics. You know, welterweights obviously don't bounce as much as Demetrius, nor are they as powerful as Francis. But it's just kind of it's, it's that uh, middle point where they converge, and you just have uh, fighters who can knock you out with one punch, and 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 fighters who are not too slow and plotting. Um, and obviously we have, well, we have the best welterweight. I was going to say two of the best welterweights, but uh, it's not Usman versus, versus Covington, too. It's Usman versus Basvidal, too. So uh, we have two top six welterweights, obviously Usman being the, you know, the, the number one, and then Masvidal, you know, I don't know, number five, number six. Uh, I think we have them ranked at number four, but whatever, you get the point. And then, you know, two fan favorites. Uh, in Valentina Shevchenko and Wei Li Zhang. So, uh, you know, we get a massive pay-per-view, usually with three title fights in December. Uh, We have another one usually for International Fight Week in July, and then sometimes there's just that third random major pay-per-view, and this one uh, really could shape up to be, you know, the the card, the pay-per-view of the year, which is an award that North Star Sports does give out uh, for the UFC. Not on behalf of the UFC, obviously, but, uh, you know, for UFC pay-per-views. It's also the main card showdown April World Grand Prix Finals. It's me versus a mystery opponent because Drew and Reagan went to a draw in their last couple of fights. Really, it's just whoever gets their picks in on time. It doesn't seem like anybody is taking this game uh, seriously at all except for me and the Squirrels uh, and uh, Quincy the Dab Man and, you know, some of those people, but... You know, listen, I don't, I, you know, I don't blame some of those old school people for, for falling out. You know, it's, it's tough when you're living in the shadow of, you know, Ted Williams, you know what I mean? When, when the mailman's this dominant, you know, it, it's going to be hard to find suckers to go up against him. So, you know, maybe the mailman just gets an automatic gold or maybe, maybe there's an alternate because, you know, we don't have any picks locked in currently. So, 
you know, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how that goes. But, you know, rest assured, we will have the main card showdown uh, tonight. Uh, with that, I'm pretty sure that's all the housekeeping I have to get to here so we can get right into this uh, relatively quick preview. I know I always say that, but I got to get this out uh, on time. And we'll kind of kind of blow through some of these early prelim fights. Not a whole lot to talk about. We started off in the women's strawweight division between Ariani Carnelosi and Na Liang. Carnelosi is 12 and 2. Liang is 15 and 4. Uh, we'll take a look at the UFC uh, betting odds here from Odds Shark, and they will have Carnelosi as the minus 150 favorite. Probably the most jacked straw weight I've ever seen. Her biceps and shoulders and neck are just something else. Uh, I, I, I'm sure I can find. Okay, she's five foot two, uh, which which makes sense. I would have figured she was even shorter because she is packing a lot of muscle up in uh, the, the upper parts of her body. Uh, had, a, had a really impressive winning streak coming into the UFC, so I, she won uh, 12 in a row, and uh, kind of like Cyborg when she got cut by the UFC, she lost her first fight ever and her most recent fight. So she lost her first fight against Amanda Hibas, so that's you know quite the unfortunate matchmaking. Obviously, Hibas was early in her career. And then she lost her UFC debut against Angela Hill, uh, the the can crusher. So, you know that, that's a, that's a pretty tough UFC debut. That's a very active fighter. So it, you know it's kind of tough to gauge where Carnelosi is. But Na Liang uh, is making her UFC debut. She's only 24 years old, uh, comes from China. So, I mean, makes sense why they would put her on this pay per view. They have a lot of Asian talent on this card. Uh, which is uh, obviously uh, smart of the UFC to stack that all on one card. Uh, she's on a four-fight winning streak and is incredibly active. So she has 19 pro fights uh, since making her debut in July of 2016. So really, really packing in the uh, experience uh, in, a, in a short amount of time. I don't have a whole lot to say on this one. I am going to go Carnelosi just because, again, I think Angela Hill was a really tough debut and she already has the the jitters of the UFC debut gone um so I'm, I'm gonna pick Carnelosi to win this one all right moving on here we have a men's flyweight fight between Jeff Molina and Keelang Aori uh, I believe this is the Mongolian murderer uh it is so I'm just gonna go by that because that is probably one of the coolest nicknames I've ever heard and I cannot speak Mongolian or Chinese or, or whatever uh, name that that is um, yeah I don't know much about the Mongolian murderer uh, the, the odds here are essentially going to have it as a pick em. Um but I knew I do know Jeff Molina was the guy who came off of the uh, contender series and had that great fight against Jacob Silva uh, both of these guys are, are pretty lean for flyweight. Not that there's, you know, a whole lot of, uh, you know, stocky flyweights, but uh, nobody's nobody's going to have a, a reach advantage. Uh, the Mongolian murder, murderer is going to be uh, an inch uh, taller and uh, is, I mean, he's an unknown. Um, but I do know I, I liked, uh, you know, how Molina was willing to just throw down uh, against Silva. So that's going to be stylistically and tempo-wise, that is going to be 
uh, quite the uh, uh, challenge for the Mongolian murderer in his debut. So I'm going to have to go Jeff Molina uh, out of Kansas City, Missouri on this one. All right, moving on here to the lightweight division. We have a fight here between Zhu Rong and Rodrigo Vargas. Rong is 17 and 3, Vargas is 11 and 4. Once again, we'll have a, uh, another debuting uh, Asian fighter, Chinese fighter, uh, for, for this one. Uh, and again, you know, this is kind of a common thread we've seen with a lot of Chinese fighters as they just pack in the fights. They start very young uh, and they they just pack the fights in. You know, if you look at Wei Li Zhang, uh, you know, what is it? She has 22 fights or whatever. And you look at her uh, Sherdog or Tapology page and it's just, you know, back in the regional scene over in China, just pumping out fights. Uh, look at Song Yudong. I think he's only 20. I think he just turned 23 and he's got a shit ton of fights for his age. And uh, Zhu Rong, uh, 20 fights at age 21. So that he's got to be a top five youngest fighter in in the UFC, at least on the male side. I know you know you got your Macy Barbers and I don't know. I guess fighters can tend to uh, you know gravitate. Uh, <laughs> I just completely lost uh, my all my my vocab there. But you know, female fighters can be a little bit younger. Is is the point I, I was going with there? And and you know, on on the the guy side, you know, it's Chase Hooper, and then shit, it might it might be Rong Zhu at at uh, at twenty one. So uh, and and recently turning twenty one. So he's only you know about a month removed from his birthday. So. I don't know. That's interesting, but he he does finish a lot of fights. He finishes uh, most of his fights. He has one decision victory of his 18, and obviously this is you know at some regional Chinese promotion. So uh, again, it's it's regional level competition. Kazulis uh, Kazula Vargas. Uh, I I don't know. I guess that's uh, his preferred name over uh, Rodrigo. Uh, 35 years old so he's going to be 14 years older and uh you know he's not short on experience either both of these guys build wide build wise are are going to be very very similar uh he's on a two fight losing streak uh his last one was against brock weaver that was uh due to an illegal knee so uh again you can't really glean uh, too much from that one. He does have a 18-second uh, knockout of UFC veteran Mike Dillatori over in uh, Combate. So uh, it might be wishful thinking, but I'm gonna go with uh, Rong Zhu on this one, just because that'd be really fucking cool if we had another uh, super young Chinese prospect to to watch out for, especially at 155, which uh, was probably the deepest division in the UFC three years ago. But it's and it's still very, very deep, don't get me wrong, but it's kind of cooled off a little bit. Like, other divisions have caught up, like welterweight, featherweight, bantamweight. They've all kind of caught up to, uh, you know, how far ahead lightweight was. And now it, now it's to the point where I would say bantamweight is the most stacked division in the UFC, uh, surpassing uh, the lightweight division. All right, moving on here uh, to the aforementioned bantamweight division. We have a fight here between Dana Batgari and Kevin Natividad. Batgari is eight and two. Natividad is nine and two. 
Uh, we'll take a look at the odds here. Oh, and by the way, the odds for Rong Zhu, he's the minus 250 favorite, so I don't know. Maybe Vegas is definitely, uh, uh, you know, going that way. Uh, so for this one, we have Batgari, who's the minus 150 favorite. Uh, once again, uh, Asian talent here uh, from Mongolia. Uh, very cool nickname, The Storm, or actually just Storm. Not even The Storm, it's just Storm. Uh, he's 31. He looks like he's 45. So I don't know. Maybe they live a hard life uh, in Mongolia, but he trains over uh, at Jackson Wink MMA. Um, one and one in the UFC. Uh, did not go his way against Haley Alatang, but uh, back at UFC 248, had a, a pretty nice knockout of uh, Guido Canetti uh, and, and has not fought since then. So uh, about a 13 month, almost 14 month layoff. Uh, for the the Mongolian fighter and uh, Natividad, you know kind of in a similar spot to Bakuri I think this is very appropriate matchmaking he's 28 years old uh, and he lost his last fight to Miles Johns uh, in the third round via a TKO um, I don't remember a whole lot about that one probably because uh, it was on Halloween back in 2020 so I, th- I think that was the let me see here. Yep, that was the UFC Fight Night Hall versus Silva. So I try to just block out everything from that night. That was one of the grossest cards of all time. Um, but I, he had his moments in there. I, I remember, maybe I'm misremembering, which is entirely possible, but I, I believe he had his moments. I don't think he made it easy for Johns, and I think he might have had Johns hurt because uh, I know Johns hasn't had the, the best start in the world to his UFC career. Obviously, is one of the uh, more highly touted prospects we've seen in the last couple of years. Um so I don't know. I'm gonna go with uh, Dana Batgari on this one, but really it's it's a, a coin flip in my mind. This is uh, you know very even matchmaking. All right, moving on here into the featherweight division. We have a fight between Tristan Connolly and Pat Sabatini. Connolly is 14 and six. Sabatini 13 and three. We'll take a look at the odds here. They'll have Tristan Connolly as the minus 125 favorite. Uh, again, just standard prelim matchmaking here. I, I'm not too excited for this one here. Uh, the only notable thing about this matchup, Tristan Connolly, that was the guy who uh, beat Michelle Pajeda, uh, in, and, and that was actually his last fight uh, back in 2019. So it's about a year and a half layoff for uh, Tristan Connolly. But, uh, yeah, his, his last win was over Michelle Pajeda, uh Pajeda kind of gifted that to him if we're being honest he kind of gassed out you know if Michelle Pajeda fights his fight and doesn't fight like a fucking circus clown uh I think he beats him and probably knocks him out but uh he has a bunch of finishes on his record a bunch of submissions on his record too so uh you know that's interesting and uh uh, Pat Sabatini on the other hand uh, a few years younger. I, I could have swore he came off of the Contender Series, but they just signed him out of uh, CFFC. Uh, he's been pretty active in 2020, had three fights, won two, lost one, and uh, just does not go to a decision. Um, I don't know. He, he also has a lot of chokes on his record, so I don't, I don't have uh, my, my, you know, scouting book on both of these fighters is, is definitely not uh, full to the brim um, but I'm I'm gonna go with Tristan Connolly on this one just 
there's not really any particular reason. I, I do not have any hot sports takes on uh, either of these two fighters. All right, moving on here. Still on the prelims. Pretty big card. Uh, we're in the middleweight division here with Brendan Allen taking on Carl Roberson. Brendan Allen is 15-4. and four, Roberson, 9-3. and three. Uh, We'll take a look at the odds here. And they'll have Brendan Allen as the minus 205 favorite. Uh, a very interesting fight in, uh, in my opinion, uh, because I, I uh, about a year ago predicted that Brendan Allen would, uh, would be a, a future title challenger at middleweight. I still feel that way. Obviously, he had that setback uh, in his last fight against Sean Strickland. I don't, I don't really know what went wrong for him in that fight. I guess he just kind of got clocked too much. You know, not even not even getting touched. He just you know Strickland punches really really hard, and I guess he just got hit a couple couple times too many, and uh, maybe you know maybe compromised his equilibrium or or just kind of put him on uh, Q Street. Um, but uh, you know he's he's still only 25, and you know has uh, plenty plenty of uh, good victories in the UFC uh, over fighters who are not ranked, but um, you know. I don't know. I think, you know, I, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think if he wins here, we will put him back in the middleweight rankings. But, you know, a win over Kyle Dawkins, a submission machine, you know, it knocked out Tom Breeze in the first round, choked out Kevin Holland. Um, you, you know what I mean? So I, I don't know. It's just one of those weird setbacks. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll be curious to see how he responds uh, following the loss uh, to Sean Strickland. It's only been about five months since that loss. But, you know, this is a remarkably uh, well-rounded fighter. Uh, maybe his skills lean a little bit more to the ground game, but I don't hate his striking. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly going to pick Brendan Allen to win this one. Uh, Carl Roberson, you know, it, it is a tough challenge for him. Uh, so I don't really know what that says about the about the UFC. Perhaps they think this guy is uh, is the real deal or, you know, I don't know. There's so much that goes into matchmaking, but you know you can't you can't sleep too much on Roberson. But again, I don't I don't really think too highly of him as a fighter when it comes to you know the the discussion of the top 15 at middleweight. You know he's uh, he lost his last fight to Marvin Vittori very very convincingly. Obviously, he just got announced that he's fighting for the middleweight title, so you can't you know penalize him too much for losing to Vittori. But um, you know he he's lost a handful of times in the UFC. And, uh, you know, he's very susceptible to getting choked out on the ground. His three UFC losses are all from uh, uh, being choked out, two via arm triangle choke. So uh, I'm going to pick Brendan Allen to win by submission because, again, I think that guy's really good on the ground. Uh, you know, if, if Roberson can't stop the takedown, then it's going to be a pretty easy night at the office for uh, Brendan Allen. Roberson with a 64% takedown defense. Uh, that's that's good. That's good. Obviously, you know you got to consider the level of competition, but uh, that's that's good. Not anything fucking groundbreaking, but uh, so you know that that's probably going to be the most interesting thing to look for in this one. All right, moving on here to the welterweight division. We have a fight here between Dwight Grant and Stefan Sekulik. Grant is ten and three. Sekulik is twelve and three. Uh, I'm curious to see what the odds have to say on this one. Dwight Grant, uh, according to Odds Shark, is going to be the minus 300 favorite. Um, 
I, I really only can talk about Dwight Grant. I don't know uh, a damn thing about uh, Stefan Sekulik. Uh, I believe he's making his UFC debut, but let me double-check that here. Oh, he made his debut back in 2018 uh, against Ramazan Emiv. I'd have to imagine that was probably uh, a late-notice fight. That was the uh, uh, fight that got headlined by uh, Mark Hunt and uh, Alexei Olenek, the first fight ever in Russia for the UFC. So it's it's been uh, uh, two-and-a-half year layoff. Two-and-a-half year layoff there for uh, Stefan Sekuluk. He's 29, so kind of missed a, a good portion of his uh, uh, youthful prime. Maybe not his prime overall, but uh, you know his, his youthful prime. And Dwight Grant, uh, known for having good uh, power punching, lost his last fight to Daniel Rodriguez. That is quite the fucking buzzsaw to run into. Uh... D-Rod's a, a real, real top 10 threat uh, in the welterweight division, but uh, kind of had that sloppy fight against Alan Joban, uh, where he beat him via split decision, uh, has a knockout on his record over Carlo Pedersoli, originally came into the UFC off of a contender series victory over Tyler Hill. Uh, I, I just, I've never seen a minute of uh, Stefan Sekuluk fighting, or is it, I guess I shouldn't say that. I mean, I watch every UFC card, so I'm sure I have seen him. I did watch that fight card, so I'm sure I have seen it, but I just, you know, did not remember it. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to go Dwight Grant to win this one, probably by knockout, first or second round. Uh, I, I don't think it'll be that big of a challenge, all things considered, for uh, for Dwight Grant. All right, moving on here to the prelim headliner. It is also going to take place in the welterweight welterweight division. It is going to be between Randy Brown and Alex Cowboy Oliveira. Randy Brown is 12 and 4. Oliveira is 22, 9 and 1. Uh, we'll take a look at the odds. Randy Brown is going to be the minus 145 favorite. I'm a little shocked by that. I know uh, Cowboy Oliveira has kind of been on a little bit of a losing streak uh, as of late. Obviously, uh, a tough opponent for anybody, and uh, a bit of a bit of a fan favorite uh, around these parts. He's only 33, which is uh, kind of interesting. He's, he's a, a, a weathered-looking guy, um, but yeah, he lost his last fight to uh, the the relatively unknown, but you know, potentially potentially really interesting prospect Shavkat Rachmanov uh, out of Kazakhstan. Uh, before that, he had two wins over Peter Sabota and Max Griffin, but uh, again, kind of kind of wore out his welcome at welterweight. Obviously, this fight is still play, taking place at welterweight, but you know, a, a loss to Gunnar Nelson, Mike Perry, uh, Nicholas Dalby, um, you know, definitely has uh, has seen better days, you know, since his time uh, headlining uh, fight nights, but you know, still still a real tough challenge. Uh, Randy Brown. Uh, is uh, 30. He has a terrible nickname in Rude Boy. I don't I don't know what that means. Uh, lost his last fight to Vincente Luque and uh, ha- had a couple of finishes before that. But again, kind of like Cowboy Oliveira has just been up and down, up and down. Uh, a little less red uh, on, on the, uh, the record book of Randy Brown over the last couple of years. But really, it's just kind of two fighters who have reached a, a certain point at the mid-level and have just kind of been teetering back and forth uh you know the, the size will be interesting in this one randy brown's going to be four inches taller although his reach advantage is only going to be uh, about an inch and a half 
Um, that is a tough one to pick. There's so many similarities statistically between these two fighters. Um, they're they're uh, they both absorb less punches than they absorb. Uh, I guess Randy Brown's defense is a little bit a little better. I'm gonna go. I'm going to go with Randy Brown. I don't know. I think Cowboy Oliveira might be a little bit washed. Uh, it it wouldn't uh, shock me too terribly if Cowboy Oliveira managed to win this fight. But uh, I don't know. I think he might be at the end of his tenure here with the UFC. I'm going to have to go Randy Brown. I do not feel good picking Randy Brown to win this one, by the way. But I think I am going to have to go Randy Brown to win this one, probably by a hard-fought decision. I think this will be a... I don't want to say sloppy because I, I don't think the, that these are necessarily too... Uh, technically inferior fighters, but I just think it's going to be a hard-fought fight between these two guys. I mean, both of them really kind of need to eke out a win here. All right, moving on here to the main card. We're in the light heavyweight division now, uh, and we'll have Anthony Smith taking on Jimmy Crute. Uh, Anthony Smith is 34-16. and 16. Crute is 12-1. and 1. Uh, we'll take a look as I just knock the fuck out of my mic. Uh, we'll take a look here. Jimmy Crute is going to be the minus 200 favorite. Uh, I do want to pull up the North Star Sports UFC rankings if uh, my internet browser would allow me to do that, which is, uh, you know, always, uh, it's, it's never a given. It's never a given. But um, uh, I know we have both of these fighters ranked. Uh Let's see here. Probably should have pulled that up at the beginning of the show. Uh, Anthony Smith is going to be ranked at number 7. Jimmy Crute is going to be at 13. So a really good chance here for Jimmy Crute to just blast his way into the top 10, really right on the doorstep of a very stacked uh, top 5. And uh, I'd say this is the most favorable matchmaking you could get for this type of leap. I mean, you know, you look at the guys who surround Anthony Smith. I mean, we have Volkan Uzdemir at number six. I mean, I still think Jimmy Crute would beat Uzdemir, but damn, he's got one-punch knockout power. That's tough. Hey, do you want to take on Magomed Ankalaev at number eight? Uh, No, I think you'd rather take on Anthony Smith at number seven, uh, a guy who is uh, not a very good fighter. I think he's washed. Uh, I, I don't think he was ever that good. I think he just faced veteran fighters at the very, very end of their career, stayed active, and was in the right place at the right time literally every step for about a two-year stretch and then got exposed. So I, I don't think he's I don't think he's good at all. Uh, you know, he has that win over Gustafson. Gustafson, like, I know people think Gustafson is a really, really good fighter, and he was at one point. But if you look at his record, dude, he's lost like six of his last seven or something. Like, he, he's lost a lot more than you think. And then got his shit rocked by Glover Teixeira, got just grapple fucked by a striker in Alexander Rakic, and then comes back and chokes out Devin Clark, a guy who's barely clinging on to a UFC career. So I think Anthony Anthony Smith is going to get absolutely fucking exposed. I think this is, I think this is one of the meanest matchups you possibly could put together. Like, if you fucking hated Anthony Smith's guts, I I think this is the perfect matchup for you. I think, like, if I wanted Anthony Smith to get knocked out permanently, this is probably the matchup I would choose. Like, this is such a dick move. I don't know why they did this. Jimmy Crute is going to absolutely fucking steamroll him. Uh, You know what? It's my lock of the week. It's the mailman's lock of the week. Jimmy Crute is just going to batter Anthony Smith. I don't think this is going to be competitive at all. 
you know, I, I don't mind Jimmy Crute's grappling. So I think if he takes him down, he's going to have his way with him. I think Anthony Smith is not good on the ground. Rakic obviously showed that. Teixeira obviously showed that. Jimmy Crute is way more powerful. Uh, he's Jimmy Crute the brute. He's, he's a fucking mauler. He's a masher. He's just going to just bash his fist into the side of this guy's head. Uh, you know, he, he's a, a big guy for light uh, light heavyweight as well. I mean, Anthony Smith is a little bit taller and, and has a little bit of a, a reach advantage, but this is going to be a coming out party for Jimmy Crute on one of the biggest pay-per-views of the year. I mean, I, I honestly just don't think it's going to be close. The, the real question for me is what round does Jimmy Crute finish Anthony Smith? Because Anthony Smith can take a punch. Like and that's something you don't want to be known for, but obviously he kind of is. But like, ah, you know, Glover Teixeira just kind of pounded him for five rounds and then finished him. Uh, you know what I mean? If Rakic would have had some ground and pound, maybe he would have finished that fight. But you know, Jimmy Crute just fucking—he hits differently. He hits differently. He's built differently. And uh, I just keep replaying the the fucking Modestus Bukowskis uh, knockout sequence in my head. Like that is one of the more vicious knockout sequences it you know in in the last calendar year i mean that was just absolutely brutal and his significant strike percentage is just fucking astronomical and for being kind of a brute he really doesn't get hit as much as you'd think uh you know 4.3 significant strikes landed per minute he only absorbs 2.3 so the differential is actually elite and again it's it's the whole you know strength of schedule obviously he hasn't you know faced 10 fucking top 15 fighters but you know the the differential is crazy the differential for anthony smith is fucking terrible he lands 2.9 gets hit with 4.4 so that's just a terrible terrible recipe um i'm gonna say jimmy crude finishes him i'm gonna say it's a, a round two knockout i'm gonna say it's a round two knockout it wouldn't uh shock me if smith survived to the final bell especially because it's a, it's a three-round fight but uh oh man this this is going to open eyes this performance i i really believe that all right moving on here on the main card we have a middleweight fight here between the all-american chris weidman and uriah hall uh, Chris Weidman is 15 and 5. Uriah Hall is 16 and 9. We'll take a look at the middleweight rankings uh, per North Star Sports, where we, we will have Uriah Hall at number 8, Chris Weidman at number 9. Um, kind of, kind of weird matchmaking. Kind of, you know, Chris Weidman was on that uh, just steep decline, just getting knocked out every single fight, you know, in in comical fashion. I mean. I am genuinely concerned for his brain uh, because in the last five and a half years, he has just, he's been knocked out no less than five times in fucking brutal fashion, brutal fashion. I mean, just, you know, 20, uh, no, 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 19 minutes of just a gang initiating beat down from Luke Rockhold. Uh, a flying knee knockout to Yoel Romero, a quasi-illegal knee knockout from Gegard Mousasi, uh, knockout punches from Ronaldo Jacare Souza, where the fight actually went too long, so Jacare basically had to knock him out twice, and then a left hook from Dominic Reyes to knock him out in 2019. So I am 
genuinely, genuinely concerned for Chris Weidman's brain. Like, I'm, I'm not even kidding. Uh, and so they put him up against old pillow hands Omari Akhmedov because they knew Omari Akhmedov might beat him. Omari might beat him, but he certainly wasn't going to knock him out because the dude's got fucking gel for hands. And uh, so putting him up against Uriah Hall, like, oh my fucking God, I don't know what they're doing here. Like, not that I care either way. Like, I don't, I don't fucking care. But, like, uh, I don't know. That, that's not doing a good job of protecting Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman must genuinely think he can work his way back to the title, which is beyond delusional. Just absolutely beyond delusional. Uh, Uriah Hall is one of the most dangerous fighters in UFC history. I mean, he's definitely not one of the best fighters in UFC history. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes to, like, wacky spinning shit and, like flying knees like all the shit that knocks Chris Weidman out like this is just this is not good uh, like I just went back and rewatched because I've been going on that ultimate fighter uh binge I rewatched the season with Uriah Hall and it, obviously everybody's seen his knockout of Adam Sella but it's like holy fucking Christ uh like this is this is reckless this is irresponsible matchmaking uh by the UFC um <laughs> Uriah Hall, I think he's going to win. I think he's going to win, and I think he's going to win by... I'm going to go first-round knockout, just because Chris Weidman, is, his chin is washed. It, it's just washed. And uh, I don't know. The only hope for Chris Weidman is just to, to hold him down and just try to grapple fuck him, but I don't know, man. I, I, I really don't know. This is probably going to be a sad night for... Uh, you know, long, long time UFC fans because they're going to have to watch Chris Weidman get knocked out, you know, in, in just r- ridiculously comical fashion here. Um, I was trying to see if there's any interesting stats for Chris Weidman. I mean, looking at the significant strikes, it, it's even what he gives and what he takes, which is not a good recipe against Uriah Hall because uh, he's much more powerful. So, you know. You don't really want to give two to, to, to get to with anybody, especially Uriah Hall. So, I don't know, man. Rough, rough, rough fucking night for Chris Weidman. All right, now moving on here, we have reached the uh, championship bouts. Like I said at the uh, start of the show, like everybody knows, there's three championship fights on this card. And we'll start off here in the UFC flyweight division. It's for the flyweight belt between Valentina Shevchenko and Jessica Andrade. Shevchenko is 20 and 3. Andrade is 21 and 8. Uh, we'll take a look here at the odds. Uh, they are going to have Valentina Shevchenko as the minus 376, oddly specific. Um, favorite. This is this is very interesting stylistically. And I just want to start off at, at the onset of this discussion here by saying if there's a time to beat Valentina Shevchenko, I think the time is now. Now, I, I do want to say I'm picking Shevchenko to win this fight uh, because I think she's just a much better fighter than anybody else in this division. But you look at her last fight against Jennifer Maya, she lost the first round and might have lost the second round, according to some people. Now, obviously, she, wa- she at a minimum at a minimum, won rounds three through five, so she coasted to a victory. But what did Jennifer Maya do? Kind of pressured her a bit. We've 
pressured her a bit. We've never really seen somebody pressure Valentina Shevchenko, at least over her last, you know, fucking handful of fights. Maybe, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't watch her fucking regional MMA. But, you know, that's that's very interesting. And Maya did have some success. And I don't think anybody thought Maya could win that fight. So maybe Shevchenko was overlooking her. Uh, that I don't know. But, you know, the one thing that Jessica Andrade will do, I guarantee Jessica Andrade will move forward. I guarantee it. Jessica Andrade, well, I'm not saying that she's incapable of, but she can't fight going backwards. Like, she's five foot one, I think. Uh, she can't fight backwards. So I promise you, I promise you, even if it means she gets finished, which I think is a real possibility, she will move forward. She will move forward. So she is going to pressure Valentina Shevchenko. And when Shevchenko just can't sit there and, you know, dictate everything on her own pace and, and you know, be, be the first uh, to engage or have enough space to, you know, uh, counter-strike, I don't know. Things are interesting because we know, like, it's going to be pretty fucking hard to counter-strike uh, and out-counter-strike Valentina Shevchenko to a victory. It's going to be pretty hard to outstrike her to a victory. But if you can pressure her if you can force her against the cage i'm not saying that's even the you know the correct way or that's going to lead to a win but i'm just saying we've never really seen it like we we know her strengths for sure maybe she's just as strong going backwards and get and getting pressured but you know it's just i don't know you can't really let her uh do her thing like you get you know i think at a bare minimum jessica andrade is at least going to challenge the, the the notion that you know shevchenko is going to dictate the 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 pace and, and the arena of the fight. Um, but again, that being said, I just, I just think Shevchenko is so well-rounded. I think her striking is, is, uh, is, is the best in the 125 division. Obviously, you know, we saw the Jessica I fight pretty, pretty powerful, uh, kicker, powerful striker. Um, but I, I do think she will be, I, I think she will be tested in this fight, but it's just, I think, you know, there are limitations with Jessica Andrade, certainly that we saw at bantamweight. And I think we'll see them rear their heads here uh, at the highest level of flyweight. You know, being five foot one, I mean, you you really are built for for atom weight, but you know, really straw weight. Uh, you know, and it's not that you know Shevchenko's not you know five foot nine, but she is five foot five, and uh, you know does fight long. So uh, you know, I, I just think there's going to be certain challenges for uh, Jessica Andrade and. Um, I don't know. I think uh, Shevchenko probably wins by unanimous decision. Uh, Andrade is, is is pretty hard to finish. Obviously, Wei Li Zhang just kind of bum rushed her and 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 got it done. But uh, uh, you know, probably the toughest chest, toughest test that Shevchenko is going to have in in a while and in probably quite some time moving forward. Uh, all right, moving on here to the co-main event uh we it is for the ufc strawweight championship it's between it's between weili zhang and rose nama yunus zhang is 21 and 1 nama yunus is 9 and 4 uh we'll take a look at the odds here uh zhang weili is the minus 195 favorite uh let's see here damn computer always always crashing on me uh either way uh very interesting uh fight here uh you know 
I think they do have the two best straw weights in the world in this one. So uh, obviously uh, Thug Rose is uh, the number one contender, but I, I do think that this uh, is a matchup here between the uh, two best straw weights uh, on the planet and probably going to be the closest title fight of the three. I, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't want to spoil uh, the main event, but I, I do think this will be the closest uh, fight of the night. Uh, and uh, I, I don't really know what's going to happen. I think that's the fun part about this one. I don't really know what's going to happen. Is, is the fight going to stay standing? If so, I like uh, Zhang Wei Li. Is, is Rose going to get a takedown? I mean, I... I, I don't know that you know I try to visualize you know how fights are gonna go and maybe how fights are gonna get finished and I, I, I really don't know with this one I think it's gonna be a real good one I'm I'm partial to Zhang Wei Li I think she's probably gonna get it done uh, but I, I think we're probably in for another fight of the night maybe a potential fight of the year because I could see Zhang Wei Li pushing the pace kind of like she did against Jessica Andrade she's very dangerous likes to march forward and Rose can match that. Rose can match that, you know, and, and we saw that again in her fight with Andrade the second time. She'll she'll match whatever you throw at her. So she's a very uh, durable fighter, kind of a kind of an awkward striker. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, you know, I don't know. Both of these fighters finish fights. So uh, and, and that would uh, you know, that would be true when you look at the average fight time as well. So. Uh, again, I think if uh, I think it's it's the most likely winning outcome for both of these fighters is winning a decision, even though it is five rounds. I think it's it's if if what Zhang Wai Li is going to win, it's going to be by decision. If Rose wins, it's going to be by decision. If I had to pick an alternate method, it's it's Zhang Wai Li by knockout, Rose by submission. But again, I mean, you just you just never know. Uh, you know. I, I, my favorite fight to watch tonight is definitely going to be the main event, but this one uh, really greatly uh, intrigues me. Um, looking at the uh, significant strikes, I mean, Zhang Wiley, 6.4 significant strikes landed per minute, and uh, she does absorb 4.4, so uh, that is pretty high. Uh, Rose with a better uh, striking defense, but again, she's, she's more even, uh, a lesser differential between what she gives and uh, and what she takes, but uh, I, I am going to pick Zhang Weili to win by unanimous decision. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, moving on here to the main event of the evening. It's going to be for the UFC welterweight championship between the champion Kamaru Usman and the number four contender Jorge Gamebred Masvidal. Uh, we'll take a look at the odds. Usman's going to be the moderate minus 361 favorite. Uh, I think we have Masvidal at four. Yep, we have him at four. Um, I don't know why they did this fight. I, I really don't know. I think it's a waste of a fight. Uh, I'll, I'll dive deeper into it, but I just think it's a it's a it's a waste of a fight. It should be Colby Covington. This fight makes no sense. Jorge Masvidal got beat incredibly soundly the first time nine months ago he comes back without ha without even having a rebound win without even having a rebound win or a rebound fight he gets an immediate title rematch against Kamaru Usman Masvidal should have been the one beating Gilbert Burns and then coming back and challenging Kamaru Usman this fight makes no fucking sense um 
Usman's going to win soundly. Usman's going to win 50-44, if not by knockout, because now he's shown he has the ability to knock people out. I think he's probably the better striker than Jorge Masvidal. I think his jab is better. Obviously, he could wrestle him if he wanted to. He could neutralize him in the clinch for 25 minutes if he wanted to. I, I just think there's no way that Jorge Masvidal wins this fight. Uh, this makes no sense. It's it's a waste of a fight. It really should have been Colby Covington. That fight was competitive. It was 2-2 going into the fifth. Obviously, Usman knocked him out in the fifth, and that's why he's the champ. But I think it was such a close competitive fight. Colby's gone out, and he's got a win over Tyron Woodley, so he stayed active. He got a win. I think that's the fight to make. It is the fight to make after this. And I, I just don't know why they do that. It, Jorge Masvidal did not take that fight on six days' notice. That's such a stupid fucking misnomer. Like, technically, he accepted that fight on six days' notice. But, again, I, I've explained this on every single show, and if people don't know this, then you're just not a fan of the UFC. But UFC 244, Jorge Masvidal takes on Nate Diaz. He beats Nate Diaz. Awesome. He's essentially next in line for the welterweight title fight, okay? Now, the welterweight title fight is going to take place a month later at UFC 245, okay? This is December of 2019. Now, that was where Usman beat Colby Covington. Okay, Usman beat Covington. Jorge Masvidal got handed a fake belt, The you know, a fake belt that means nothing, uh, you know, for two fighters with double-digit losses. And now... That's next. They had the they had the uh, you know scrap or or you know verbal spat at, at uh, Super Bowl media week. Everybody knew. I think it was even announced that Usman was going to take on Masvidal. Okay, now we're sitting in June of 2020. Okay, June of 2020, the UFC says fuck it. We're not doing Usman versus Masvidal. Masvidal is too too difficult to negotiate or whatever the reason is. We're doing Kamaru Usman versus Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns was scheduled to fight Kamaru Usman for probably about two weeks, and then he tested positive for COVID. Then, after he tested positive for COVID, after he was scheduled to fight Usman for about two weeks, that's when the six-day call came to Masvidal, and Masvidal flew out and, and fought Usman. So, yes, it, it technically... Technically, the fight was on six days' notice, and I'm sure that that was tough. I'm not saying that was easy. I'm sure there were challenges that came along with it. I'm sure the weight cut was not fun. I'm sure it was more difficult because traveling around the world in six days. But Jorge Masvidal and Kamaru Usman both knew that they were going to fight each other at a bare minimum after December 15th, 2019. So they knew they were going to fight each other for seven months. So it's not like Jorge Masvidal was sitting on his couch unaware. Oh, la di da di da di da. I, I'm just uh, inactive. I'm retired. I'm inactive. I don't even. I'm not thinking about my career at all. Oh, UFC Hunter Campbell. Let me pick that up. Oh, six days notice. That's not how that fucking worked. Jorge Masvidal knew he was going to fight him for seven months, and because, because of this stupid technicality, uh, you know, and, and and misnomer that that people are going with, uh he gets an immediate rematch. This is fucking stupid. There's levels to this. Like Corey Anderson says, Kamaru Usman's, it's not even going to be close. I'm so interested to see how game-bred fans and how Jorge Masvidal and how the MMA media, I'm, I'm so interested to see what their reaction is tonight after Kamaru Usman absolutely wipes the canvas mat with Jorge Masvidal. What will they say then? Because I'm telling you it right now.
I'm saying it right now. I've been saying it since this fight was announced. I've been saying this the last month and a half. So what are what are what is everybody everybody gonna say when that happens? Because it will happen. You know, it's the whole uh, Michael Bisping thing, and obviously it went the other way for Michael Bisping. But when a younger fighter beats an older fighter the first time, the chances he beats him the second time, I, th- I think they're like 80, 85 percent. It is so incredibly rare for the older fighter to beat the younger fighter after losing to that fighter the first time. So stats are not on Masvidal's side. The fucking tape certainly is not on Masvidal's side. I don't know how the fuck he does it. I really don't. I'll be very impressed if he does. I'm not trying to shit on I know it sounds like I'm shitting on him. I'm really fucking not. But I'm just saying, like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, you got to go out there and you got to you gotta earn it. Like, you don't... Some champions, some champions don't even get immediate title rematches. So, you know what I mean? Like, so how the fuck the, the title loser, who wasn't even the champion, gets an immediate title rematch? Like, when the fuck has that ever happened? Like, that... I'm sure technically it probably has, and maybe it goes back to, like, UFC fucking 12 or something, but, like, damn, like, that makes no fucking sense. But it's just, Kamaru has every way to win this fight, and Jorge, I just think he has the knockout, I guess. I guess he could knock him out. You know, I guess Kamaru Usman did get clipped by Gilbert Burns. You know, maybe maybe if he got clipped like he did against Gilbert Burns, but it was a lot fucking harder, maybe he would have just gone out. So, I, you know, I, I mean... Masvidal obviously, you know, wins, uh, you know, a handful of his fights, about 50% of his wins are by knockout, so, you know, it's entirely possible he knocks him out, but it's just, I don't know, man, if Kamaru Usman comes out there and pumps the jab and clinches him up, like, I'm not, I'm not saying Masvidal is going to get, um, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to get demoralized because he did not get demoralized the first time they fought, but it's just, ah, man, I don't know, Kamaru Usman could take this any place he wants, uh, you know, standing, clinching, or on the ground, and he's going to have a pretty sizable advantage everywhere he goes. So, with that, main event prediction, Kamaru Usman wins this one. I'm going to say by unanimous decision. I'm going to say 50-44. I'm going to say that in one of the rounds, he's going to get very close to finishing Masvidal. Masvidal just doesn't get finished, man. So it's very tough. Usman, I think he's a much better fighter than he was nine months ago. I think this fight's going to be a lot cleaner. Not that it was fucking dirty on his end at all, uh, you know, the first time. But uh, I think he's going to get closer to finishing Masvidal. But it's just Masvidal just doesn't get finished, man. So I don't know. Kind of a kind of a anticlimactic uh, way to end it. But I just think it's a waste of uh, of a title fight. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up here. You can follow me on Twitter at MN. Follow North Star Sports on Twitter at NorthStarMIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarSports.media. And thanks for tuning in, everybody.